Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. as grand and beautiful as that simply must mean another episode of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Good day to you. I'm Nikki Dakota, joined in the studio live and in person. It is the storyboard artist to the Cohen Brothers for 20 years and counting and friend to all the big stars, our friend as well, Jay Todd Anderson. Hello, Nikki Dakota. Welcome and also via the phone line from Culpepper right there in the deepest vault of the Nitrate Film Archives at the Library of Congress. It is our man at the Library of Congress. <laughs> George Willeman, welcome. Howdy, and actually, I am. I am sitting right outside the uh, the nitrate film vaults here at the uh, at the Culpeper Center. Hey, George, I thought I was just being sassy. <laughs> could you be sitting on the cut negative if it happened one life by any chance? It happened one just, night, excuse me? just down the hallway from me. I can smell it. <laughs> and you guys do have that cut negative there, yes, don't you? Yes, we do. Which brings to mind the reason why we are all gathered here today. It is for the 1934 uh, Frank Capra classic, right? Yes, it is. Right? It's, it's Oscar time, and this was the big movie that unexpectedly swept five of the top Oscars that and, year. Which and, was, was, and was the first one to do so. Yes, and it was oh. not superseded until, I mean, sure, I'm sure if I'm wrong here, folks, write in and tell me, but I think it was <laughs> One Foo Over the Cuckoo's Nest was the only movie that kind of got ahead of and that how many picture. years that was some 1970 some... what was that george 72 73? Uh, yeah, so almost 70, late 60s early 70s so 40 exactly. years later almost so yeah. um it happened one night starring clark gable and claudette colbert yes and uh yeah it's beautiful black and white gorgeous yes. and a lot you guys really did restore that correct george yes we uh yeah we had a lot to do with it i don't know if we completely had to do with it but i know we worked on it for many years now before we get into it it, it happened one night we have uh we have been accused and we have been accused of being shameless self-promoters. Really? Yes. In and fact, we are. Yes, we are. Tell if them why, George. Anything, if there was any word stronger than shameless, we would use it. We yes. Are. And we're looking forward to anybody that brings that to our attention with a new word. Now, George, pray tell me, why could they possibly accuse, be accusing us of being shameless self-promoters? Uh, because they're jealous. Oh. <laughs> Why else, pray tell? Uh, I don't know. Because it's true, I guess. Uh, the, the, the thing is, what we want is we want more promotion. Okay. And we want more people to know about us. Now, how, how would you sort of, I don't know, spread the word? Well, I mean, you can just uh, tell a friend. The, the, <laughs> the three greatest forms of uh, communication, telegraph, telephone, or tell a friend. You know? And um, what do you but, prescribe, Dr. Um, I'll tell you, the, what I would prescribe to all our listeners out there who aren't doing this already is to go to our website at www.perfectmovie.net, and there's a little button right on the front page that says subscribe. And when you click on that, it will take you to iTunes. Now, of course, if you don't have iTunes, you might as well download it because it's free and Apple's going to take over all this business, so you're going to have to do it eventually. You know, <laughs> If you go to iTunes and uh, you type in Filmically Perfect, it'll bring up actually two pages at current. Um, one of them has our picture on it and one of them does not. If you go to the one that does not have our picture on it, that is the actual uh, active link for our show that allows you to download the podcasts to your computer and then into your iPod. 
And if you go up there, there is a place where you can leave uh, uh, comments, good comments, we hope. Yes. But we have discovered that if we start getting more and more comments, Apple and iTunes will begin to take notice of us and move us up to the front page, and then we'll, you know, we'll get more of the... Uh, the promotion that we are so badly seeking. Well, you know what's interesting about that? Uh, just this uh, uh, 11 o'clock hour, we did songs about helping. So if you enjoy Filmically Perfect, you can really help. Go to the iTunes and leave some comments and uh, get us up toward the top there. Do a little something about this local show with national appeal. Yes, we do. It's always been our uh, mission statement here is to make a local show uh, here in Yellow Springs, Ohio at WYSO 91.3 FM um, to appeal to everybody in the United States and, and, it's and the world. And we're right also getting out yeah. to Germany now. So we really appreciate all your listeners, but we are word of mouth. We don't have any advertising and we really appreciate if you do this and it, it really help us uh, get the awareness out there that there are perfect movies and um, you don't need to watch movies just to watch them. You can watch them for other reasons. Mm -hmm, right. For their perfection. And, and we sort of discovered in the last week, almost by accident, that most of the people who are coming, uh, who are listening to our show not on the air, are going directly from iTunes or from our website. So we know that we're getting lots of people interested in the show through those two venues. So spread the word and check out iTunes. Help us out and also help yourself with uh, some really cool uh, Yeah, we love all looks. your comments. You, you, we've had quite a few suggestions for movies, which some are on our list, and we just love hearing from you. And, and uh, occasionally, George and I have to... Um, uh, go in there and say, hey, you know, we, we should think about this movie. Um, but however, It Happened One Night has always been one of our favorites. Ha it Happened One Night is the movie at hand, and I have to say it is quite good. But gentlemen, its perfection was not just something that came to you in a dream or something your four-year-old niece said to you. That's right. It is very strict, very specific rules, and gentlemen, those rules are... It just so happens that It, it Happened One Night creates the world that it exists in. And it wholly sustains that world. And regardless of changes in society, it happened one night retains its meaning and entertainment value. And unlike all those other lesser lists, um, <laughs> uh, it, hap <laughs> it happened one night will never be put into any sort of numerical or alphabetical order. It is on its own two feet, grand and glorious. And we don't need to tell hardly anybody that it is a perfect film it is and uh and no no need for rule four not five, a hard or six sell on, on this that one, one no. at all man very good so if you um would george williman give us a little uh, a little little glimpse into the action give us that snappy summary <laughs> snappy synapsis synopsis <laughs> well for all those out there who have never seen this movie naughty 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 uh, naughty the basic story starts with uh, Claudette Colbert, who plays a character named Ellie Andrews, who is uh, a very wealthy heiress. And she is kind of being held captive on her father's yacht because she, she wants to marry this guy named King Wesley, who her father despises. And uh, she escapes from the yacht by jumping overboard and swimming to shore. Which is really great. <laughs> and, and her whole aim is to get back to New York, because they're down in Florida, to get back to New York and be with King Wesley, whom she has married in secret. Her father, of course, wants it annulled, wants the, uh, the marriage annulled. Well, uh, she gets back on la dry land, and she gets a bus ticket. How about that, folks? Yeah. It's a bus ride. She gets on and the, the night bus. the coolest bus. bus, by the way, just the coolest looking <laughs> bus, with this, you know, New York right across the front. Yep. 
And she uh, she gets on the night bus because she's trying to avoid all of the private detectives and, and guys that her father has sent out to, to catch her, basically. So she figures the night bus would be the last place. That because they it's, look. Made, fact, it's made the paper. One it's of like, the coolest things in this movie is this headline. It says, Ellie Andrews escapes father. <laughs> <laughs> To this day, that's the best movie headline I've ever seen. <laughs> what is it? What's her name? Ellie Andrews, George? Ellie Andrews. Yeah, yeah. escapes <laughs> father. It's like seven inch Helvetica type. Slow news day, I guess. <laughs> so she too gets, much. She gets on this bus, but at the same time, there's someone else getting on this same night bus, and he's a reporter. Uh, named Peter Warren, played by Clark Gable, mm-hmm. Ohio's own Clark Gable. From Cat is Ohio, right? He's Ohio, yep. And he is drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and he has just been fired again by his boss at the newspaper. And he gets on his bus, and of course the two of them end up sitting next to each other. And, and he manages to make himself completely loathsome to her almost immediately. But at the same time, somewhat fascinated. So the, the trip starts, and they have different stops along the way. At one of the very first stops, uh, her suitcase gets stolen. So now she has no money. And he actually tries to save it, and she doesn't have much gratitude for that necessarily. But No, yeah. she doesn't. She, yeah. she thinks he's a bum. She's a snob. She she's has lots snob. of money, <laughs> and, and she's used to getting her way. So the story just kind of continues on as they, you know, they slowly make their way to New York. He finds out who she is. Uh, doesn't tell her right offhand, but calls his newspaper boss and tells him that he's got this great story and that he'll give him the exclusive on it when he gets to New York. Because we've already found out how newsworthy her escaping her father is. So and this, this right. is clearly a scoop. And this is back when the newspaper was like privately owned, not owned by uh, with all the other companies in the United right. States. This sure, is, and also the very main... Small, you know, one big deal was, is that the newspaper has a certain amount of clout because it's owned privately. Right. So they, they uh, have to stop one night. I think it's when, uh, because of a rainstorm washes a bridge out. They have to stop at an auto camp. And this is where probably the most, one of the two most famous scenes occur. Uh, Peter and Ellie have to share a room. So Peter strings up a, a cord and puts a blanket over it uh, for some privacy between the two of them. And uh, she asks him what he's doing. And it's like he says, it's the walls of Jericho, you know, <laughs> to give you some privacy. So they, they spend the night there, and she's so, so ambivalent about him. You know, on the one hand, she loathes him. On their hand, she's kind of becoming very fascinated by him and then becomes upset when he's not there the next morning. He's actually gone out to get some breakfast or something for her. And the trip basically continues in this love-hate, you know, fighting back and forth. Uh, another character, this Oscar Shapley, figures out who she is. And, uh, she... and uh, Peter takes him out in the woods and basically terrifies him, uh, convincing him that he's some sort of gang member who is going to off him if he says anything about about her being on the bus. Yeah, but this is... Remember, folks, this is melodrama here. You're not going to get into, like, stuff that's heavy nowadays where they threaten them. I mean, this is this is just kind of... Um, Strong suggestions kind of, of behavior. <laughs> behavior, you know. He's just kind of mean, that's all. But you're not going to get into... This movie, if you're hunting for heavy stuff, it ain't going to happen in this picture. Um, and remarkably so, um, as we'll get into later. Um, what do you say, George? Should we just... Uh, should we... Have you got that projector over there? In, oh, in, um... Do you have... Maybe we should, like, play a scene? Yeah, we got a great little scene. Uh, what? Oh. Oh, wait a minute. Watch your fingers on that saw there. Um, are you... Can you find that projector? No, I think... Here it is. Go ahead. Oh. 
That's vacuum cleaner, George. Oh, uh, wait. Oh, here it is. Oh. God, I'm sorry. <laughs> this place is so cluttered. Uh, try that one. Okay. Uh, do you mind joining the Israelites? You don't want to join the Israelites? All right. Uh, perhaps you're interested in how a man undresses. <laughs> you know, there's a funny thing about that. Quite a study in psychology. No two men do it alike. You know, I once knew a man who kept his hat on until he was completely undressed. Yeah, now he made a picture. Years later, his secret came out. He wore a toupee. Yeah. You know, I have a method all my own. Uh, if you'll notice, the coat came first, then the tie, then the shirt. Now, uh, according to Hoyle, after that, the uh, pants should be next. There's where I'm different. I go for the shoes next. First the right, and the left. After that, it's uh, every man for himself. <laughs> One of the greatest screen personalities in the history of uh, motion pictures, Clark and, uh, and, and it's such a great little scene because Capra, in his sort of typical Capra fashion, although it's still kind of new at this time, shoots that whole thing in one long, continuous take. And Gable really, I mean, he really has to act because, you know, the, the unblinking camera on him, there's no cutaways, there's no way to, to fix it. If he screws up, he'd have to start over. So, Well, one of the remarkable things about this movie, and people don't realize, is that this was produced in 1933 by Columbia Pictures, um, which was supposed to be the low-rent studio yeah. <laughs> at the time. And it was run by Harry Cohen, and it had one of our, our famous entourage of stars, the Three Stooges, um, which helped <laughs> them build soundstage after soundstage. However, this movie... Um, um, was uh, written by Robert Riskin, who is Frank Capra's right-hand man. And uh, when they were trying to get it cast, they had to borrow their talent. They borrowed Clark Gable from MGM, and they borrowed Claudette Colbert from Paramount. And Gable was being punished by uh, Louis B. Mayer because he was acting like he's he a was, bad boy. He's like being bigger than MGM. And right. one of the reasons this thing had to get made, as I understand, is that they had to produce this because Mayer was such a uh, Louis B. Mayer of MGM was such a top dog, and he insisted that Harry Cohn make this picture so we, they could prove that Gable was expendable at MGM. Uh huh. Right? And backfire. Yeah. And then Claudette Colbert was going on vacation, and she had to hurry. So. They compressed the schedule to, this is what Frank Happer says, and it's written many times, four weeks. They shot this movie in four weeks. And a lot of it was location work with rain, as you remember. Uh, so they really had to hustle through this. And Gable, and according to Frank Happer, was acting like Gable and Claudette. Colbert was acting like the spoiled child that she was. That's right. why they were so believable. Just real quick here. Oh, so they're playing themselves. Yes, sir. Now, when you say the four weeks part, just for perspective, just say these days, what would your average movie take in shooting? Well, nowadays, our, you know, I know the, the boys usually run in, uh, the Coens, they run in around 42 to 50 days, um, and that's a tight schedule. That's a good schedule. It's very comfortable. Big big movies like, um, uh, uh, you know, like Leatherheads, that was like a 60 or 65 days. I'm not sure George Clooney, so... Um, <laughs> Um, I can't. I think it was around six. It's a big, a lot of, a lot of time to spend that money. But back then, this was just going to be one of their pictures. A funny thing happened is that when they put it in the theaters, it only made like ten thousand dollars the first weekend or something. And then after that, people told their friends. It was word of mouth, and they kept coming back. And before they knew it, all the movies that they had marked for Oscar challenge were insignificant at Columbia, and this movie went in and walked away with all the awards, which cemented Frank Capra as a great director, and Clark Gable became the rogue actor that we know he right. was. But all of a sudden, 
We knew who he was. We're talking about it happened one night on Filmically Perfect, the 1934 Frank Capra classic with Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. Now, what is it, uh, gentlemen, do you suppose it is about this movie that, you know, had a weak start, was just expected, it was just like a, a, a almost a throwaway in the eyes of the people, maybe other than the actual direct people. What do you suppose it is about this movie that let it have this amazing... Well, I can tell you one thing, what, what, what is it, uh, is it William Goldman, George, or Robert Goldman, the writer, uh, William Goldman? Uh, what? Princess Bride, the guy who wrote Princess Bride, what's his name? That's William Goldman. Yeah, he says nobody knows anything about the movie business. And this is proof <laughs> because nobody knew anything. This was a generic film. That yeah, I were... mean, this Yeah, this came out of, totally out of, out, of, out of, you know, far left field because it's a little movie. It's a small story. It's a story about two people. It's a bus ride, for crying out loud. Yeah, bus ride. And, uh, and, <laughs> and but, I but, read about this, and they were in story conferences that – at at Columbia and, and Cohen said Harry Cohen said I'm tired of all these bus pictures. <laughs> well, actually, I just pictures? read that, um, that, that <laughs> Myrna Loy was originally uh, sort of tapped to play Ellie Andrews, but she turned it down because a recent movie that was set on a bus had flopped. Oh, well, right, and that was why it was the bus. Yeah, yeah that and, was and it. Robert Montgomery turned down the the lead because he read the script and said it was the worst thing he'd ever read. Yeah, that just goes to show you what Goldman says is true. Nobody knows anything about <laughs> the movie. But I, I think that it kind of looks like it's one of those one of those beautiful things that only happens once in a blue moon, where all the elements came together, and and for good or bad, you know, Gable's problems when he got there because he knew he was being punished. He hated being there. Uh, Capra writes in his biography that on the day that uh, Gable showed up at his office, he was blind, stinking drunk. Which is how he starts the movie. Right. Blind, stinking drunk. Now, was drunk. that method acting or was he actually a I think a he was blind, blind stinking drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but they no, said... he was angry. I mean, look how, you know, at this time, MGM was the, you know, the Camelot of Hollywood. It was the place you aspired to. Remember, Columbia folks... Was a, Columbia was a dump. Remember, you know, folks, it's not like now. Back then, you worked for these people. You punched in, you punched out. You were contract players. They would squeeze they every you. blood, ounce of blood out of you. Some of those guys, like Gable, made four and five pictures a year. They would mm -hmm. just, like, they dress them on the way to the soundstage, you know? I mean, literally. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Which is, they it, try to put the sound stages together from two different pictures so they could get them dressed faster so they can make more how movies. How could you, you shift know? your mind gears like that so quickly? It must have been just incredibly grueling. Which, by the way, reminds me, we just so recently reviewed The Misfits, and what an interesting you comparison. You can see Gable in the beginning and Gable at the end. And, and, yeah. and he's still Gable, man. Yeah, but he, I have to great. say he's completely charming in this movie. In, in, and uh, he, tells, one he night. tells her to shut up. He, he <laughs> okay, manages well, her money. He so shows charming. her how to dunk a donut. <laughs> I mean, but he's still charming. How many guys can you say if you would go out on a date would tell you how to dunk a donut, tell you how to manage your money, tell you to shut up twice, and you'd be and like, say, what I you think need I is love a, you. What you need is a good punch in those. Would you, you honestly think your date would last with a guy like that? No, it's Gable. Well, it kind of gives you that, yeah, and it also kind of gives you the thing that, that what she has really wanted is someone, someone to, to tell her what to do because... You know, she's a spoiled heiress. She's always gotten everything she wanted, even if she didn't want it. She also, and now she's got someone who won't put up with her guff, and I think she finds that very attractive. 
She also got double her salary on this picture, which was $50,000. Which is a quite a sum of money from 1934. It's kind of what writers make. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard the writer strikes a, over, but that's another show. On an hourly basis. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only kidding, guys. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. You know, well, actually, I was going to ask, I mean, in, in addition to the sort of the really cool ability to compare Clark Gable um, in these two different times, of course, this is black and white. I have to say that it, it just was gorgeous. Just everything about it. Well, you got I a good restored print. You know, um, I had forgotten, having not seen it in a while, just how beautiful a film it is. I mean, there and and it amazed me again. It just sort of says how much you know. Cone and Capper were like oil and oil and water all the time, but they had this love hate relationship. But it just shows you how much pull he had with this hard nosed boss of Columbia, because there are these beautiful set pieces that he built for this movie that cost. I'm sure cost a fortune. Some of the auto camps and things are all sets. You know, it's not not real outdoor stuff um and and they had joseph walker shoot it and walker stuff is always really really nice in fact i think capra used walker a lot why didn't they use uh natural settings more particularly in those early days you think it would have been so much easier i think a lot of it had to do with the 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 limitations of sound recording and i think some of it has the way to do with uh with how capra shot uh, well, how he liked to shoot, and, and his, and he was a control freak, I'm sure. And if you're out on location, you don't have control over everything. But Frank Capra was a little different from all the other directors of his era because he came from an editing background. And one, when you watch the Capra movies, um, and especially as the later Capra movies, um, you'll see a lot of jump cutting in these pictures, where you see somebody standing there, and then you see a cut, and it doesn't look kind of right. But what Capra did was cover his um, his scenarios with three cameras, kind of like what they do in television today, only he had big, clunky film cameras, and sometimes five cameras. And what he would do is shoot that. A whole scene, and he would roll it out. He would not stop it. He would bring the actors back to the beginning and say, go again, go again. He used a lot of film, but he saved a lot of time doing this. And he mm-hmm. got what he claims in his biography is better performances because the actors would never have time to get their makeup or anything. They would just start instantly again. Okay, we're still rolling, go again. We're still rolling, go again. Sometimes until they rolled out, which is 1,000 foot, you know, maybe – Ten minutes. minutes. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, so thousand feet is ten minutes. Yeah. Wow. Well, and and then they reload and do it again. But if you watch his movies, they have this they have this energy um, that that hardly any movies you see of the era has. And he started this kind of trend toward the screwball kind of uh, tone and energy, which is really nicely replicated in Paper Moon. If you watch that movie, um, not quite as quickly as as the pace and tone in the Capra films, but. Um, that is why in It Happened One Night, you see these long performances because he was searching for a performance and he wanted to capture it on one of those cameras, whichever was rolling at the time. We're talking about It Happened One Night, uh, Clark Gable, Claudette Colbert, 1934, a perfect uh, movie. I think uh, by, every, by every standard, let's uh, review, it creates the world. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's their own little romantic world of these two people falling in love. I love because there was a whole, you know, there's a lot of stories on trains. But and you know what? I, that, d- I did like that this an was An interesting thing that, that that world is a bus. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Metaphorically, it's a bus. You know, they're all on this bus going, you know, into the night, into, it's really cool, you know? It's, yeah. Uh, and I love the black and white. Honestly, that bus is one of the coolest uh, structures I've ever seen. And a couple of those shots, if you notice, like he'll have the camera out at the down at the front wheel as the as the yeah, bus pulls out. Really neat. I was just going to oh, mention that. Just that lovely. He, um, the way he shoots the bus, it, you know, it really makes the bus one of the characters because shooting it low like that, you know, gives the bus a real grand Ooh, scale. Yeah. Yeah. 
Certainly, sus- yeah, certainly sustains the All world. the way to the end. In fact, you know, hopefully we'll discuss that ending, but that ending is just one of the coolest endings of ever. Well, if we're going to do it, we better get on it because we're just about oh, out of just, time. Oh, I see him coming down the hallway. He's Here he no, comes. No. It's Budinsky, George. He's bringing it. No, he's telling us. Oh. What is it? What is it, Bud? All right, Bud, we'll tell them. <laughs> you don't see Claudette Colbert or, or Clark Gable at the end. You see two old... Uh, senior people tool, yeah. talking about what's going on in that motel. <laughs> well, it, it's so funny because <laughs> that's so great. You know, they, they <laughs> then the lights the, go out. Well, they do the, the the walls of Jericho thing a couple times, and at the end, when she does actually at her father, her father, of course, totally changes face throughout the film and decides <laughs> that she should go with Peter. Yeah, he, and at the end, uh, she does. She runs off. They meet up. They get married. They go to this little uh, 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 auto auto camp. And uh, the man, the husband who runs the place, comes up to his wife and he goes, oh, "Strange people. They want a blanket and and a trumpet <laughs> and a rope and a rope." <laughs> How about that for motel adventure, folks? Uh, you got to you know, see the, this. You got to see this movie to understand. You don't it. see it. The, uh, the film ends. You see the the little camp and you hear this, da, 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 and then the <laughs> lights go out. <laughs> Oh, and you see the blanket falling to the ground off it's the great. rope. It's great. It's just fantastic. <laughs> Which speaks to rule number three that it, uh, despite cultural changes, it's really... still wonderful. You'll, you know, if anything. <laughs> the other, the other thing I want to say is the magic scene in this movie. George likes the blanket scene. And that is one of the most famous scenes in motion picture history. But what I consider an absolute perfect gag is her hitchhiking routine oh, in yes. this movie, and and it's just played out. It's a long scene. It's a long gag. It's 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 two fabulous actors working with a great director and winging it um i'm sure it's in the material but if you watch their timing you watch her go out there it's so perfectly timed you can watch that gag a hundred times and still (laughs) laugh at it it's just so funny where she pulls her dress up and stops the car and they got this great insert of guy hitting the brake with his foot and the wheel locking up and uh they slow down her when her leg goes into the in close-up, they slow it down, they doctor it up, they light it. Probably took them three hours to light it because it looks just so great. But in my opinion, that's one of the most perfect gags of any movie ever. Yeah. Uh, perfect movie indeed with a, just a, a really so easy on the eyes, so inviting, so well done, and, uh, and, uh, and, and captivating. Uh, and I think that we all agree it happened one night is perfect in every way. Good look at um, Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, are we wrapping it up there? Well, and I was going to say, we're just about out of time. Are we going to give any hints about next week? or No. Uh, no, no, we, no, we, no, no hints. No, we'd have to kill you if we told you that. Um, there's well, this, also, you. another little social commentary in this movie. You'll see how the depression was really figuring into audiences at the time. Quadat Colbert goes to take a shower, and she goes right to the front of the line, and they throw her out. Yeah. They don't get angry or mean. They laugh at her, which is, <laughs> is there's this whole depression era kind of captured on film in some elements in this movie, you know, a period in our history. You can kind of see it, because I think Frank Capra was very sensitive to what was going on in the country at that time. You know, something else I want to mention about the two actors, although certainly Clark Gable is seen as very, very handsome and, uh, you know, a great leading man. Um, in some ways, he's really not classically good-looking. Neither is Claudette Colbert, which is interesting. That wouldn't happen anymore. It's like you have to be beautiful virtually in every way, or you won't be a lead actor in a film. Well, Steve Buscemi, maybe. <laughs> but there's, I love that about she kinda, this. She's very annoying until she warms up on you, and then you like her, and you pull for her, and you're pulling for Gable because he's kind of blessed by the gods right out of the gate. Right. We're filmically perfect on 91.3 WYSO. I'm Nikki Dakota. Always a pleasure to sit with these film guys. J. Todd Anderson, thank you uh, for being here this day. 
Yeah, uh-huh. It's just sure, good to man. see you. You betcha. <laughs> yeah. And George Willeman via the phone line. Uh, thank oh, you yeah, for you being betcha. in here. Stop by the website, perfectmovie.net. Go to iTunes. Put some good sure, words man. in for us. You can and find also, us. soon we're going to have... Um, on the website, we're going to have some storyboards from No Country for Old Men in a couple weeks. We're going to have them all up there so you can see the big shootout scene at the end. Talk about a show um, that uh, has may have something of great distinction. But that's all coming. Stay close. Pass on the word. Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. George Williman, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Jay Todd, see you Always next time. Always my pleasure. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.